Today we are going to finish in the book of Acts, and we're going to watch God be faithful to what he said he would do. Okay? God is always faithful to do the things that he says he will do. In the beginning of Acts, right, God reminds, tells, warns, uh, encourages, gets the disciples ready to uh, be witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and out to the ends of the earth. And we have watched the gospel go from the city of Jerusalem in the beginning of Acts all the way till the end of Acts, making it all the way to Rome. All right, and so I'm going to kind of gonna take a little bit of a departure. I'm not actually going to read you anything from Acts this morning. I'm going to tell you what happens in Acts 27 and 28, and then I'm going to share with you some things that Paul had to say about his time in Rome from the book of Philippians. So actually, if you want to stick your finger in where we're going to be on those Bibles that are on the chairs, we are going to be on page 1011 in the, the book of Philippians, and we'll be in chapter 1, right on 1011 in Philippians chapter 1. So Paul in chapter 27, uh, we've seen Paul now just appeal his way to Caesar, and he finds himself on a ship going to Rome. And this ship will not go in a straight line to Rome. It ends up getting caught adrift at sea. It ends up getting shipwrecked. Paul ends up making it to this island. The entire time, God is incredibly faithful to Paul, saves Paul from famine, from being adrift in the ocean, from drowning, uh, from snake, a snake bite that he gets on one of the islands. Um, he, it's, he saves Paul from all of these things because God has promised Paul a very specific promise that he will go to Rome and share the gospel in Rome. And so Paul's again, he's playing with house money. He knows what the ending will be, right? So he can be faithful in the meantime. And I want you guys to know that's partly what it means to be a Christian. Like one of the most beautiful things about being a Christian is that we know the ending, right? People want to argue all the time over what the ending looks like. We want to have, they want to pull out Revelation and they want to go through you know, the, the revel and they want to say it's going to happen exactly like this and exactly, oh, see, things are happening. Things are moving. Oh, it's in the Middle East right now. Things are moving towards where, you know, the ending. Here's the thing. You could try to read those tea leaves and try to watch what's happening exactly and try to follow exactly what God is doing all over the world, moving pieces into position to see the end times come. But the point of the end times is to know that Jesus wins in the end. And when he comes back, he gives us a new city, he makes us new. He gives us eternity with Him. Right? And so there, we know the ending. We can already celebrate that we win. We can already celebrate that we're on the right team. We can already celebrate that Jesus redeems everything. We can already celebrate that He's going to take us with Him to this new city. There's going to be a place for us in this new city. We know we win. We got the ending. We're playing with house money. That's what it is to be a Christian. And Paul shows that through this entire ordeal. Right? He's already been you know, uh, attacked, he's been in prison for multiple years, he's now found himself on the ship, he's been shipwrecked, he's almost died multiple times, he is a prisoner on his way to Rome, and there are multiple times where God saves him and continues him towards the place that he wants him to go. And finally, Paul arrives in Rome. And when Paul arrives in Rome, it's not necessarily great. He's still a prisoner. So he is actually, what we find out later, is he's being held by the Praetorian Guard, and I'm going to pretend like I know something about this, but basically these were like the elite guardsmen who were uh, at the disposal of Caesar. Okay, So they were like right there 
in Caesar's house, right, uh, right next to his home where he lived. There was a barracks of soldiers. The Praetorian Guard were those guys. And generally what would happen if you had a high-value uh, prisoner, the way Paul was, they would actually take uh, a chain and put it around Paul's wrist and a chain and put it around the, the Praetorian Guard who was designed to watch him. And those two would have to basically like, live together during the day. And there would be shifts, right? People would come and they'd swap them out. But you would do your shift chained to your prisoner. If your prisoner disappeared or got away or anything happened to them, you would be killed, right? So it was very important as a, as a guardsman, right, to keep track of your prisoner. And I'm just going to tell you, I can't imagine, you might be able to imagine this, but can you imagine a more annoying person to be chained to than Paul? <laughs> like, I'm sure from the moment you were chained to him, he was like, cool, I, this is like shooting fish in a barrel. He can't leave. <laughs> like, I'm talking about Jesus this whole time. This guy's going to learn all about Jesus. This guy's doing Bible study eight hours a day as he watches Paul. Like, you know that's what's going on, right? I mean, think about the most annoying person you could be chained to, right? Can't be as bad as Paul. And so Paul finds himself sort of under house arrest. He's rented a home. He's basically allowed to stay there, and these Praetorian guards are watching him. And he is in this suspended state of waiting for his trial, waiting for justice, waiting for an opportunity to make his case. And he's just kind of in between and sitting there. And while he's in this position, he begins to think about his legacy, and he begins to write to and encourage the churches that he's had connections with. Okay? And one of the churches, the church that's in Philippi, actually sends, when they find out Paul's in this situation, sends some people to him to encourage him, to bring him some stuff, to bring him an offering, to spend some time with him. And it's like, it's like you know, uh, it's like straight caffeine to his veins. Like it's like nourishment to Paul to spend time with believers from a church that he knows about, that he had a, a hand in creating, to find out that they're doing well, and then he spends time encouraging them and sends them away with a letter. Okay, so when he writes the letter, that's, the, that's Philippians. It's the letter Paul writes while he's in jail in Rome. Okay, so everything he writes, he's in, he's in jail. We need to run that through the filter when we read some of these epistle letters that Paul writes to the churches and understand that many of them, a few of them at least, he wrote while he was in chains in Rome awaiting a chance to be heard. So I'm going to pick this up in chapter 1, verse 12. And I'm going to, you can follow along with me in the app or um, on screen, or if you picked up a Bible, it's on page 1011. So here we go, verse 12. This is Paul talking, writing a letter to the church in Philippi uh, that he sent back with people who had come to visit him. Now he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Right? What has happened to me has actually served as a, as a chance to advance the gospel. I'm going until 14. Um, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. All right, if you're filling in, especially you kids out there, if you're filling in, the first filling is share about Jesus no matter what. What is Paul's situation? 
Macy, what is Paul's situation? What? What's his situation? Yes, he's a prisoner, and he's still sharing about Jesus. You're like, I know, what it's, I know what it means to be a prisoner. I go to work every day, and they chain me to the desk. <laughs> right? I, I know what it's like to be a prisoner. I have to go there and stand there and watch my kid play this sport that I... No, don't. Just, um, share about Jesus no matter what. Jesus is worth sharing about in any situation that you find yourself in. And if you let your situation determine whether or not you're going to share Jesus, then you can find an excuse not to share Jesus in any situation you find yourself in. If you're waiting for the perfect moment and the perfect situation and the perfect everything to exist for you to share about Jesus, then you don't understand what Paul understands. Paul understands that he might only get a fraction of a moment with a certain person at any given time And that the first thing out of his mouth, the most important thing that he could share in that moment is to share about his Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul understands that if I have a moment with this person and they don't know Jesus, I should try to change that. doesn't matter if the situation is perfect. Obviously, his is not perfect. Now, I think he probably enjoyed this. I think he probably looked at it like, okay, this is a challenge. Paul was kind of crazy like that. I find, myself, I find myself in situations like that a lot. I love to, and maybe you're like, you hate this person, and I'm sorry, this is who I am. I find myself, whenever I have like a waiter or a waitress or a person who's serving me in some capacity or like someone who's, I'm just going to be around for a second, I'm trying to work Jesus into the conversation. I'm trying to work the fact that I'm a pastor into the conversation. I'm trying to work something from the Bible into the conversation. Like for me... Trying to, I might be sitting there eating, you know, my, my tuna fish sandwich on pumpernickel bread. And I might be eating that pumpernickel bread. Pumpernickel, pumpernickel, pumpernickel. And I'm thinking about Jesus. Because the situation I'm in is not more important than understanding that Jesus is the most important thing in that moment. Right? Are you hearing me? Paul is in jail for his faith, and he is talking to every single person that he can possibly get an ear from about Christ. And what's happening now is everyone in the Praetorian Guard who's strapped to him, every servant who he comes in contact with, everybody in Caesar's home now that he's kind of rubbing shoulders with who are servants probably taking care of him or helping him in different ways, they're all hearing about Jesus. Also, don't think that, you know, like, Paul's not sharing Jesus yet with the most strategic people in the world. He's sharing Jesus with anybody who can hear him. Like, it's that important to him. And I wonder if we just come up with excuses not to share because we're afraid or because we're worried what people will think about us or because of whatever it is that holds us back and we're waiting for the perfect situation or we're waiting for the the perfect moment, or we're waiting for whatever, and we're missing the idea that we have a chance to share Jesus. Now, I'm sure whoever is strapped to Paul would much rather be playing Monopoly than hearing about Jesus again. And here comes Paul telling him again and again and again and again. And we know that actually Paul made 
progress in sharing Jesus with people that there were believers within Caesar's home because of Paul sharing the gospel to as many people as, as could hear him. So share about Jesus no matter what. Okay, so we pick it up here. Uh, verse 15 and 16. If you're following along, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Sorry. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Your second fill-in, if you're following along, is serving Jesus creates joy. Serving Jesus creates joy. Paul says a couple things are happening now that he's in jail. People who are in competition with him, now I just want to stop and say, this is so stupid and I hate this. But Paul makes a good point here that I think we can all kind of grab hold of. One of our, our values here is that we are big K kingdom people, that we care much more about Jesus' kingdom than we care about the name of our specific church. We want to push Jesus' name, not pursue community church. We want to make sure his kingdom grows, and we're a part of that, and we get to see that happen, and that's beautiful and amazing. But we're not the only ones doing that. We're teamed up with other like-minded churches who are also sharing Jesus in our area, and we are big K-minded, big K-kingdom-minded. Not just our little kingdom, right, our church, but the big K-kingdom, what God is doing on the broader scale, both in our town, in our region, in our country, and in the world, okay? We're big K-kingdom people. Paul is saying there are people who want to see him fail because they have rivalries with him. And they're sharing the gospel, and they're like, look at Paul. Who is he sharing the gospel with? Just some servants in, in Caesar's home? Like, we saw a bunch of people come to Jesus. We planted three churches in the area. Like, there are people who are, like, in competition with Paul who think this is great that he's in jail, and they think that it means that Jesus uh, is, like, punishing him or he's not being successful or God's against him. And so they're starting to take that narrative and run with it and say, look, it, we're the ones who God's working through now, not through Paul. And Paul is saying, what's beautiful about this is he's showing us what Big K Kingdom looks like. He actually says, you know what? I don't care whether their motives were true or false. If people are coming to Christ, if churches are getting planted, if people are getting encouraged, he goes, I don't need any of the credit. Christ is being preached. As long as Christ is being preached, I'm happy. Throw me under the bus all you want. You know, say whatever you want about me. I'm not going to stand up and defend my my own personal, uh, you know, legacy. I'm not going to try to make a big deal about this. I'm just going to say those people who are in challenging me or trying to take advantage of this situation, jokes on them because Jesus is still getting preached. That's all I want is to see kingdom grow. And God's got me here, and I'm growing it here, and God's got them there, and they're growing it there, and that's beautiful, and that's okay. And that's the way we feel at this church. Like, Jesus, if he's being preached and the gospel is being expounded and the kingdom is growing, we're good, man. We're partnering with churches like that. We want to be in relationship with people about like that. And when we are in relationship with people like that, we get joy out of it, man. 
Like, I, nothing more exciting for me than my monthly gathering with a bunch of other church planters, right, where I get to listen to them tell stories and laugh and hear about the amazing things that are going on in their church. And they're all local. They're all guys who are, you know, working as hard as they can to start churches or to help their churches turn around and plant other churches. And when we get together, it is just nonsense and malarkey non-stop, malarkey, 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 but it's the most encouraging, like, meeting of my month, man, to hear their stories and hear what Jesus is doing in their churches, and some of them are close enough where there have been times where someone has left our church and gone to theirs, or left their church and come to ours, and you know what, we, we're excited about it, we're saying, hey, if that's the best fit for that person, great. God's kingdom still growing? Yes. Are you sharing Jesus? Yes. Are we sharing Jesus? Yes. I'm excited that God's doing this in other places around that we can be excited about and celebrate. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I don't care about, we're not in competition, that I get joy out of the idea that Jesus is getting preached. And that's what's most important. All right? So serving Jesus creates joy. All right, we're going to pick this up again here. And we're going to go 19 to 21 here, I think. 19 to 21. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That's what Paul's thinking. He's like, I'm in jail, but this is going to turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. By the way, the last two verses here, the last two things that we're going to focus on, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and we're going to focus on another one here in Philippians chapter 4 in just a second. These are two things that get taken out of context all the time. Paul is literally talking about, hey, for me to live is... Uh, Furthering God's kingdom. No matter what I'm doing, Jesus is with me, and I'm furthering God's kingdom. And for me to die is gain. If I die, then I am with Jesus in heaven immediately. Okay? Paul is looking at it, and he sees the end coming, and he knows God's almost done with him. And he knows he's been running a race, and God has kind of laid it out in front of him. And God has shown him his time is coming short, and he says, I'm ready. I am ready to be with Jesus. Your third fill-in here, following along, is life is more than just being alive. Paul is looking forward to something beyond life. Beyond life on this world enters into life eternal. Paul says, I am not afraid of that transition. I know that when I stand in front of God, I will stand there and I will say, I do not deserve to go to heaven except for Jesus and his sacrifice. But he paid for my sins. He made a way for me. Like, my place is sealed by Christ who's gone before me and created a place for me. And Paul understands that his life is not more valuable than anyone else's, that there isn't much left for him to do, that God has used him up in the way that he wanted him to be used, and now it might be time for him. And we know what happens a couple years from this moment of him writing it. Paul does die, and he does die in a very gruesome way. You can look look it up later. 
as far as we know. So Paul is getting ready for it, and he understands that there is way more to life than just being alive. I think sometimes that's all we're focused on. But there is so much more beyond this life that we don't pay attention to. We should live this life as though that section of life is more important than this section of life. We're so focused on this section of life. This section of life is like um, what James calls a wisp of fog that burns away by the midday. Like it's a small section of time when you compare it to eternity. We're going to spend 99.9999999999, keep going, percent of our life in eternity and only just a speck of our time here now. And yet we're only focused on, only worried about, only have anxiety for, only depressed in, only struggling in this life. And we're missing the idea that there's so much more beyond this life. Now, I don't think we should be welcoming that transition until God has made it clear that he will move us from one to the other, as Paul is kind of saying here. He says, it's good for me to be here. It's good for me, for you, for me to be here, because I can still encourage you and spend time with you, share stuff with you, be focusing on God's kingdom. But when he moves me on, I'm not going to be afraid. And when he moves me on, I'm not worried about that. I'm looking forward to it. Like, there's more to this than just what we're doing right here, right now. All right, last section here. We're going to move to Philippians chapter 4. So you're going to have to turn the page in your Bible and go to page 1013. And I'm going to be reading from verses 10 through 13. And this, by the way, is one of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. So let's talk about it. Uh, verse 10. Sorry, let me make sure I have this right. Yep. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He says, I'm excited you've sent some people to visit with me and to care for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I am in need. It says, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty, whether in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, you guys know, if I see this on a t-shirt, I don't think that Paul wrote this so that you could plaster on a t-shirt to promote your basketball camp where you take better three-pointers because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Um, we're missing it. Here's the application, right? Here's the application. So I want to give you the last fill-in, we can persevere through anything because of our connection with Jesus. And Paul has just proved this. Paul has persevered through a litany of things. He has been beaten multiple times, stoned almost to death, where he barely walked away from it. He has been attacked. Riots have started everywhere that he has ended up. He has been imprisoned. He has been wrongfully imprisoned, right? He's found himself shipwrecked. He's found himself adrift at sea. He's found himself snake-bitten by a poisonous snake. He's found himself in chains and rights 
I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, there isn't anything I could go through anymore to prove right, that God is doing something in my life here and I can do all these things and I can persevere through all these things because it's Jesus who is with me through all of this. Now let's back out of that for a second. While it is annoying to see on a t-shirt where it's misused, it is also true. When you find yourself persevering, large things and small things, it is true that Jesus cares both about the large and small things and is with you in those moments. It is true that even when you don't find yourself in prison, but you find yourself going through a mildly irritating thing in your life that you are frustrated with or persevering through, that God is still in that with you. That it's still his presence that carries you through that thing. And while we sometimes misuse this verse, we also sometimes throw it out because we feel like we don't rise to the level of what Paul... I'm just flipping it on you now, okay? We don't rise to the level of what Paul is going through. God loves you. He cares about what you care about. And he is with you. What over and over and over God promises in Scripture is not that you'll always be successful. Paul definitely wasn't. It's not that you'll always be healthy. Paul struggled with all kinds of health issues. Talked about the thorn in his side. Talked to him. He almost got beaten to death. Like Found himself in all these terrible situations and health problems and situations. Doesn't, God doesn't say, I'm going to make you healthy. He says, I'm going to be with you when you struggle. And this, guys, I think is where we got we to gotta land and understand this. You know, one of the best ways, and I, this is really hard to explain. I'm going to do my best, so please don't kill me when this makes you mad, okay? One of the best ways that we share our faith, I absolutely believe this, in our day and age, is how well we struggle and suffer as Christians. Just, I know, let it sink in for a second. I'm not saying God wants you to suffer, and I'm not saying he's creating suffering in your life always to be like a kid with a magnifying glass and you're an ant on an anthill. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying... When we suffer well in this culture, we are showing people what it means to walk with Jesus even in times when things are difficult. And we are saying to everyone, Jesus doesn't make you healthy and wealthy. He is with you. He does not fix every single problem in your life. He doesn't bounce all the bad things that happen to you. He is like, you know, and I, I feel like one of the kids asked me if I would preach this someday. And I feel like it totally fits. Like, you, you leave the house, right? And you leave a dog at home. Dog, 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 dog. And when you come home, right, what if the dog is sitting there so excited to see you again? Like, so pumped and ready for you to be back. Like, just so excited that you happen to come home again. Like, maybe you weren't ever going to come home. Like this dog is pumped. Not like cats, by the way, who are awful. Okay? Cats, cats have no... Cats are the worst. Cats, cats have no riz. I'm like, did I get them all? Oh, no, I'm missing one. I'm missing one. 
I get it, I get it. Listen, the coolest thing about a dog that stinks about a cat is that a dog wants to be with you literally all the time. Cats want to avoid you all the time. Cats are like, you're home? Hmm, okay, whatever. Hmm. Or they attack you out of nowhere without any warning. Yeah, cats are a lot like Satan, actually. Let's talk about this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Mommy, why does my pastor hate cats? Um, God, God is with, he's with you, man. He is with you through thick and thin, through everything you go through. If it's important to you, it's important to him. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to him. As you struggle and as you suffer well because of your faith in Christ, because you lean on him, because you lean on the community around you, because you have support, right? because you suffer well in this world, you are both saying to the world, I can persevere through anything because of my connection with Jesus and his church. And I invite you into the same thing. You don't have to suffer on your own. You can suffer with Jesus and with... And I know that sounds like a little bit macabre. Like, what are you talking about? Yes, we're all going to suffer in this world. And I think it's one of the greatest ways to share your faith is to suffer well. Pasta. That's the one I, that's the one I didn't get in. Let me, let, me close our, let me close our time here in prayer. If you guys, if you would pray with me, kids, if you would just put your hands together. Let's get in a prayerful state. Jesus, thank you that you are with us through everything we go through. God, thank you. We don't want to go through things alone. Thank you that you are with us. And God, as we suffer, would we look at Paul's the picture of how he suffered. And when we look at that and try to emulate what you are doing in his life, God, that we can lean on you when we suffer. We, we can persevere through things because we have friends and family in our church. And you have provided both the church and you have provided your spirit to help us persevere through these things. God, help us to understand there's nothing wrong with us when we, when we suffer, but you are promising to be with us in those times. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.